thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a great privilege to share the Word of God with you today and to celebrate homecoming together. Now, I might get in trouble here. Uh, I think sometimes, at least from an outside perspective, the church as a whole is seen as a fun-free zone. Now, we go into the historical reasons as to why this perception exists, and there's undoubtedly moral differences that add to this perception, but Sometimes, and this is where I might get into trouble, if we're being honestly looking in the mirror, which I hope we always do that here at Durban Memorial Baptist Church, if we're honestly looking in the mirror, the church as a whole, at least on a cultural level, has perpetuated this perception of being a bunch of fuddy-duddies, opposed to ever smiling. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not proposing that we should be irreverent. God is holy and he has called those who know him to be holy as he is holy. That is to be set apart. But let me tell you all this morning, holiness and happiness are not in competition. There ought to be great joy in gathering together to praise God. We ought not to be too stuffy to share a smile and to laugh together. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're told that there is a season for everything. One instance is from chapter 3, verse 4, where it says there is a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Now, us Baptists have a particularly hard time with that last one. Some might say it's because dancing leads to sin. I think it's because we struggle with rhythm. (laughs) But I wanted to get at this in this introduction this morning. What I want us to see is that God has licensed us and even commanded us to be a celebratory people. It really is. I am not blowing smoke when I say it is a joy to be here together to celebrate the history of what God has done through the years in and through the people of Durban Memorial Baptist Church. I hope For you too, this is a day of celebration. There should be joy amongst us. May we share smiles and stories and snickers as we gather together today. There's a little Baptist alliteration for you. If you had the opportunity to speak with me for the last few months, uh, you may have heard me talk about something that I like to call the theology of the feast. The basic principle is that in our culture and in my life in particular, I saw that I have made an idol out of eating. Every meal was a decadent endeavor. As God kept putting this idea of the feast in the forefront of my mind, I was convicted. I was overeating to the point where I was trying to find a cheap comfort in where I should have been finding comfort in God. But baked into this idea of the theology of feast is also the reality Food is good, and it is a natural centerpiece for gathering together. I mentioned this to my wife on the way in this morning, but even before the fall, God commanded them to dine together, which I thought was interesting. So food is good. Some of the best conversations I've had with people even in this room have been over the dinner table. 
God designed us to enjoy his creation, both through the consumption of food and for the community of his people. In this great design, he has converged the two. So while what I call the theology of the feast recognizes not every meal should be a self-centered feast. But it also recognizes there are times where we come together, enjoy community and leave the calorie counter at home. That's what we're doing. That's why I heard an amen. That's what we're doing this morning. Following the service, when we gather together downstairs, we're going to have a feast for the glory of God. It's what we're going to be doing on November 5th in just a couple of weeks from now when we have a chili cook-off and celebrate our children's ministry here at the church. It is gathering together for the glory of God. These kind of celebrations are nothing new. In the Old Testament, God gave seven annual feasts to the Israelite people. Each of these had a theological grounding and point to the work of Jesus Christ. So they were reverential times in which there was learning and reading of the law, but they were also times of gathering and times of feasting and times of celebrating together. Y'all, they were a party. They were a time of joy, time of gathering. Now we learn in Colossians chapter two that Christians are not necessarily beholden to the Old Testament prescription of specific feasts at specific times. But as we think about the purpose of a feast, we should see that this principle remains. It is good to gather with glee for the glory of God. If you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. Now, here at the church, we have been spending the last couple of weeks walking through the first chapter of Acts. But if you weren't here for that, don't fret. This is a great place to jump in. If we were to boil down the last two weeks into a simple statement, a simple lesson, it would be this. Christ is the center of all things. Christ is the center of Scripture. All of it points to Him. His life, death, and resurrection pay the cost for the sins of whoever believes in Him. Christ is the center of the church. Everything that we do in our mission flows from Christ, from what he has given us to do. And it is a response to what he has already done for us and is currently doing in us. As we we begin to walk through this text this morning, I want us to continue to see how all things point to Christ. And with this scene that we're looking at is actually taking place during one of those feasts that I just referenced. Begin with me, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to look at just verse 1 for a moment. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So we're going to pause right here. As we arrive on the scene and the narrative this morning, the setting is Pentecost in Jerusalem. Now, before we get into the specifics of what happened at this Pentecost, I want to take a moment to explain to you what Pentecost exactly is. It was one of those seven feasts commanded by God to the Israelites in the law. The word Pentecost literally means 50 in Greek. This feast was also known as the Feast of Weeks. It takes place 50 days, or that is seven weeks and one day after Passover. It is a celebration of the harvest. Uh, The first harvest, it coincided with the first batch of grain that would be ready to be harvested for the year in Israel. So I'm going to try to quickly and accurately summarize the theological implication of the Feast of Pentecost and also the feast that it directly connects to, the Passover. 
See, the Passover feast commemorated the time when the blood of the lamb was sprinkled over the doorpost of the Jews' homes, which caused the Spirit of the Lord to pass over those homes during the last plague in Egypt. A spotless lamb was sacrificed to provide covering for the people inside the homes. So the Passover feast symbolizes God covering his people through sacrifice. Pentecost then coinciding with the first harvest of the year, celebrates God's provision and continued supply of sustenance for his people. It also celebrates God giving his law at Mount Sinai, where he provides his people with order and separates them from a nation like any other. So when we understand the historical and theological implications that were in Pentecost and in Passover, we see that it's no coincidence then The death of Jesus Christ on the cross, when his blood, excuse me, was shed for the forgiveness of sin, coincides with Passover. Even numerically on the calendar, it coincides with Passover. And now, where we're jumping in this morning, he has commanded his disciples to be together on Pentecost in which something incredible is going to happen, in which God is empowering and providing his people with spiritual sustenance. We'll see that in a few moments, but what we are witnessing here is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the helper whom believers through him understand the grace of God in truth. The Spirit who helps us in our weakness and intercedes with, for us with groanings unheard. Too deep of words for us when we fall short in our prayers. The Spirit who seals believers for the day of redemption. The Spirit who leads us and gifts us for service. Just prior to the ascension of Christ, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Jesus instructed his disciples. He said, hey, y'all sit tight. Wait in Jerusalem, not many days, because the Holy Spirit is coming to empower you. Now, some have asked, why did God make them wait? Why did he say, you know, in a couple of days? Why did he just do it right then? Why weren't they empowered by the Holy Spirit at that time? Why didn't Jesus just give them the Spirit's power at the ascension or even before that? Well, our answer, I believe, is right here in the history of the feast. You see, God's plan for his people extends all the way back to the beginning of history. It traces from the garden through Abraham to the formation of Israel. The the books of the law, the rules, the feasts were not just frivolous events meant to occupy time and keep people busy. They were pointing us to the reality that God is in control and is working out his plan to bring redemption to a fallen creation. For roughly 2,000 years between Moses and Jesus, the Israelites had been celebrating Passover and Pentecost. For 2,000 years, those feasts were pointing to the great work God was accomplishing through Jesus Christ the Son. The convergence of Pentecost and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit shows us God was always and will always be in control, working out his great plan. It was always the plan. So in our text this morning, we read again, Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
Those involved had to think this was just another average celebration. This is just another Pentecost feast. We do this year after year. The time's come for the first grain harvest. And so we'll get together. We'll celebrate God and thank him for his continued uh, provision for our physical needs. The disciples even couldn't have been sure something incredible was going to happen. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was coming in power a few days from now, but they didn't know if today was the day. All they knew was Jesus said something soon is going to happen. So they get together. They gather together for Pentecost, for this feast, and they must have been astounded at what happened next. Look look at verses 2 through 4. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The imagery in this scene is almost unimaginable. All of a sudden, the sound like a mighty rushing wind just fills the entire house. We should all be well acquainted with the great power of the wind and the sound that it brings with it. Remember last March? I know that time well because my fence blew over in my backyard. We had a mighty rushing wind around here, record-breaking wind. There's a powerful whistling sound that comes when the wind blows through in a great way, in a mighty way. Something like that happens for the disciples as they're gathered together for this feast. Then divided tongues as of fire appear to each of the disciples and rest on them. There's been many artists who have uh, drawn pictures and uh, tried to encapsulate what exactly it looked like in the room as all of this is happening. I don't have one on the screen for you. You can make a note after this to Google this to see what they've come up with. But I don't think what is being described here is capable of being fully processed by any of us who weren't in the room at the moment. The author of Acts, Luke, is using metaphor to describe this scene that goes beyond normal natural occurrences. He says the, he uses things like the sound like a mighty rushing wind and as of fire. That's a metaphorical language that gives us a glimpse at something that goes beyond the limits of language. Now, this doesn't mean that what happened uh, uh, is imagined. It doesn't, excuse me, let me rephrase that. This doesn't mean that this is an imagined story that didn't really happen. But rather, what really happened goes beyond our imagination. The point of this record isn't that we should be able to perfectly picture and draw out every single detail of what happened in this specific moment. The point of this record, what we should all be feeling right now as we read through this record is for all of us to see, praise, and fear that is revere God for the mighty act that is accomplished right here. This is an amazing story. I love to have discussions with brothers and sisters about what heaven's going to be like when we get there. We have a lot of theories. We have a lot of discussions. I encourage you all, even as we go downstairs in a few moments, to talk about it. Share with what you think might happen uh, in heaven when we get there. But the reality is our limited human minds are incapable of fitting in what heaven's really going to be like. I don't have this on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
It goes beyond what we are capable of containing in these minds that we have. So the tangible experience described in Acts 2, 2 through 4 is a glimpse of heaven on earth, if you would. It is God acting in a glorious way that goes beyond and it can only be partially described within the limits of our human language. We shouldn't get caught up in how all of this went down, trying to figure out all the mechanics, but instead glorify God for what went down. The wind and the fire point us to the very presence of God. Ezekiel prophesied that God would bring life to dry bones by filling it with his spirit, by bringing the winds from the corners of the earth to the to the bones. The same God who gives life through his breath presented himself to Moses in the Old Testament in the burning bush and to the people of Israel in the pillar of fire that they followed. What we're seeing right here, which becomes stale to us if we've read through this passage too many times, but what we are seeing is a climactic intersection of the Old Testament prophecies, appearances, and allusions in the place with the disciples of Jesus. This is saying all of it points here. We can see it, how God is working all of this together. And in verse 4, something incredible happens to the disciples. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So we'll come back to utterances in a moment when we get to the next half of our text. But I think it's important to first explain what is not happening here, if you would. This is not the normative experience of regeneration. To say it another way, this is not a picture of what it should look like every time someone receives Christ as Lord. You see, Peter recognized Christ as Lord uh, when Christ was still with him. It said that it was revealed from the Father that he would know that. In John 13, verse 10, Jesus declares the, the disciples around him, lest Judas the Iscariot, the betrayer, are already clean. He says they're clean way back in John 13. They have been saved by grace of God through faith in the Son, a faith that would be completed and fully realized in the resurrection. Jesus calls the disciples his own during the high priestly prayer of John 17. So we aren't given a clear picture of exactly when the disciples were regenerated, born again believers, that is, as that might be true for many of us here today who have grown up in church and fully believe beyond a shadow of doubt, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord without knowing a specific instantaneous moment in which that truth became true to us. But it is clear for the disciples that they were saved before this moment in Acts chapter 2. Further on in the accounts of Acts, we're shown the growth of the early church, and there's not a requirement given for the rushing of wind and the flaming tongues and the foreign utterances to those who are being saved. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer looks to uh, Paul and Silas and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they respond to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What happens next in the story? The jailer believes he and his household. They're baptized and they gather together as a household and have a feast to celebrate that the entire household has believed in God. So, what is happening in the day of Pentecost is not the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, though that it is true regeneration comes from the Spirit. What is happening specifically right here is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for a particular ministry. 
There was a ministry that was happening under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that ministry is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It always comes back to Christ. We're going to see the particulars of what this message entailed next week when we get into uh, Peter's proclamation. But for now, the spirit is manifesting in a tangible, powerful way to get attention from the city of Israel to bear witness to what God has done through Jesus Christ. After the wind, after the fiery tongues and the utterance fueled by the spirit, we read this verses five through 11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The festival of Pentecost, this regularly occurring festival, brought Jews from all over the world to Jerusalem. This festival took place in the best time of the year for traveling conditions. So it was the highest attended festival in Jerusalem all year long. People would come from all over to be in Jerusalem and celebrate God's provision. Now, let me just say as a side note, I'm a big fan of festivals. I've been to quite a few in this state. Been to the Casey County Apple Festival, Old Fashioned Days in Williamsburg, Court Days in Mount Sterling, Spoon Bread Festival in Berea, Chicken Festival, Daniel Boone Festival, uh, Nib Rock. That's Corbin spelled backwards if you didn't know it. Uh, I love going to a festival. I love getting the food. I love hanging out with family and friends. I love the people watching. You really see some things when you go to a festival. Now, I tried to do some research this week on what would happen at uh, a regular festival of the Pentecost in Jerusalem on any given year. Unfortunately, someone forgot to put the itinerary online. But let me tell you this. There were families of devout Jews that had made this pilgrimage plenty of times. This was a regularly occurring festival. And it was also a big deal. They made travel arrangements. They secured their lodging and they were ready for the feast. I'm sure they probably did some people watching while they were there too. But I can guarantee you, the folks in Jerusalem that traveled from all over the different parts of the world to be a part of this festival never dreamed that what happened here was what was going to happen. They never dreamed that they would hear a sound like a mighty rushing wind drawing their attention. And so when they get closer, they never dreamed that they would hear over a hundred people speaking in languages and dialects of the places that they had traveled here from. The breadth and representation stands out in Luke's list of nationalities. It's spanning all of the Roman and Parthian empires from Rome to the Caspian Sea in the north and from North Africa to Mesopotamia in the south. The, parts, uh, the path from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth is beginning to be paved right here at Pentecost. The utterances of the disciples were the languages of the nationalities from all over the face of the earth, converging together with a unified message, telling the mighty works of God. What 
an amazing and a perplexing sight this had to be. That is, in fact, how it is described in the next two verses from our primary text today. Look at verses 12 and 13. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Everyone is amazed at the events as they unfold before them. These disciples of Jesus speaking in languages formerly unknown to them, language that connect to the heart of the language that the people were speaking to themselves and from they, where they come from, gathered together from all across the globe. They're all hearing a unified message of the mighty works of God. In these final two verses, we're told that there is a mixed response to the message being given that day. Some heard, some wanted to know more. The scoffers in the crowd blamed the commotion on having too much wine. That's how it often goes. The work of the Lord is met with skepticism, met with scoffing. But let's not let the negative opinions of the scoffers take away from the work of the Lord. I'm going to give you a little bit of spoiler alerts if you haven't read through the rest of Acts. In the coming weeks, we'll see this as we continue through the text, but about 3,000 souls are saved on this day. 3,000. 3,000 people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand the grace of God and truth. What an amazing day to God be the glory. That's something we can celebrate. If the angels in heaven are celebrating, why aren't we? What happened at this Pentecost was an amazing work of God that goes beyond our expectations and should cause us to honor him. It was a special occurrence, not the normative expression of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, we see God preparing for the future church by special and specific expressions of the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose. These expressions each confirm the growth of the kingdom, the bringing in of another people group. And they are transitional occurrences that show the expansion of Christendom to new peoples. But before we conclude this morning, I would be remiss not to show you the normative expression of the Holy Spirit. If what we have read this morning is a special occurrence that does give us glory to God, cause us to give glory to God, but it's a a special expression for a specific purpose, then what does the movement of the Holy Spirit look like in a regular people in a regular church at a regular time? Well, we can find this in the text that we recited earlier, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. For the regular church in a regular time filled with regular people, being filled with the Spirit looks like communicating with one another, Singing with one another, giving thanks to God with one another and submitting to or serving one another out of our shared reverence for the Lord. That's the regular experience. 
These are the kind of things that we try to highlight each and every Sunday at our church when we gather together. And I hope we are highlighting in all the time in between in our regular lives. Today, we've had an opportunity to reflect on the history of Durban Memorial Baptist Church. I'm overwhelmed by the stories I've heard about people being there for one another, being there to witness the weddings, to prepare the mother-daughter dance or feast. I can say I didn't forget the bread this morning. I've heard many stories of people being there for one another in their time of need. In just the past few months, I've been the recipient of the saints of this church gathering together, addressing me with psalms and spiritual truths. I hope that that has been extended from me to others as well. The local church the local gathering, the ecclesia. It is a grace of God and spirit-fueled for our comfort and for God's glory. Durban Memorial Baptist Church has been and will continue to be a grace of God fueled by the Spirit for our comfort and for God's glory. It is a sincere joy to be in the house of the Lord, gathered together with his people, hearing his words, singing his praises. The church is and should be a party celebrating the great glory of God. We celebrate those in specific moments like homecoming. Today we had extra singing. We have a meal that is coming up in just a few moments. Those are good things. Those are special vessels through which we celebrate the spirit that is always within us, uniting us in a shared salvation. Even when we don't have, though, a special occasion as we do today, our gatherings, our church meetings, our lives ought to be celebrations, celebrating the grace of God made known to us about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay the cost of our sins, that truth being sealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We celebrate because the Spirit has made known to us we are broken creatures. We are broken creatures and our sin separates us from a holy God. We do whatever we can to get ourselves out of brokenness. Those are those trails you see over on that far right bubble. We turn to a bottle. We turn to a relationship. We turn to our bank statements, our jobs. We turn to thing after thing, trying to escape this brokenness that we all know all too well. But none of it works. Our sin has separated us from a holy God and that hole that is in our heart is God-shaped and so only God can fill that hole. And so the perfect God sent His perfect Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to live and to die and to rise again so that all who repent of their sins, believe in Him, confess Him as the Lord He is are restored to the perfect God. Given us what a thing to celebrate today. We celebrate today because Christ has saved sinners because God loved us enough to send his son to die for our sins. And the spirit loves us enough to seal that truth in our hearts. We can only truly celebrate today if we have been reconciled to the perfect God through faith in the perfect son.
And I want to tie this back to what we've looked at this morning. Today we're celebrating homecoming. A special occurrence that has brought us, brought you here today. You may have been expecting to see old friends. You may have been expecting to eat great food. You may have been expecting to hear wonderful music. All of those are great things in this celebration. On the day of Pentecost that we looked at this morning, that was another sort of homecoming, if you would. People were gathering together to celebrate. But those who gathered didn't expect to see the power of the Holy Spirit and hear about the mighty works of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the Son. That may not have been your expectation this morning either. But that's what has happened. Today, we celebrate not because some organization has lasted 83 to 87 years in this little corner of Clay's Ferry. We celebrate because we have been grafted into the organism of the body of Christ. There is something much bigger than a yearly celebration happening today. Festivals and feasts, they come and they go, but being a part of the body of Christ lasts forever. I don't have a mighty rushing wind to send upon you. I don't have a flaming tongue to place on my head or a foreign language to speak this morning, but I have something greater. I have this message for you. We join that eternal body of Christ by realizing our own ineptitude, our brokenness, our sin, repenting thereof and believing in the perfect Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again to restore a broken creature like me, a broken creature like you to restore us to the holy and perfect God. If you really want to be a part of the party today, if you really want to be celebrating with us, if you really want to be filled with the Spirit and participate in the life of the local church, repent of your sins and cling to the cross of Jesus. Christ is worthy to be served. God's power and worthiness has been displayed all throughout history. One culmination point being what we have read of this morning in Pentecost. So my final question this morning is this. Like those witnessing at Pentecost, what is your response? Are you unfazed? Do you think I sound like some drunk off his rocker? Or are you amazed, intrigued, convicted, seeing your need of a Savior, desiring that comforting Holy Spirit? If that is you today, come find me. Come find me during this hymn of response. I'll be up front. Come find me afterwards. I'll tell you this. I cannot, Brad Pierce cannot, this church cannot save you. But by the grace of God, we can introduce you to the one who can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. Lord, I pray that everything that has been said has been in accordance with your word and said for your glory that your spirit would be convicting our hearts, showing us our need of a savior, maybe for some reminding us of our first love 
As we battle with this flesh, we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God we say we love. May today be the day your spirit slaps us on the face and reminds us you are worthy to be served. You have called us together. And may we give you glory. Lord, I pray your gospel has been proclaimed. Your mighty work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been articulated properly. Not just articulated, but understood that your spirit would be working on the hearts of those in attendance today, drawing them unto you. That we would see our need to have a savior and find that need fully and completely met in Christ and in Christ alone. May we not leave here today without joining in that celebration by grace through faith. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at durbanchurch.org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.